Hello. On this podcast, we talk about movies, their faults, their flaws, and their plots. So, expect some spoilers. You've been warned. Welcome to Plot Spackle. I'm John, and my Cranston is Hal from Malcolm in the Middle. I'm Eric, and my Cranston would be Walter White from Breaking Bad. I'm Richard, and my Cranston is also Mr. White. I think I want to change mine then. We can't have two Mr. Whites. I'm going to go with Mr. White from Better Call Saul. There you go. I mean, they are different characters, aren't they? No, they're the same character. One's just set. But they're different characters. If they're, Though they're the same character, the character has changed. No, it's actually pretty close. Like, if Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad are both pretty good, I'd highly recommend watching them. But, but I thought that uh, Better Call Saul, Walter White, would have been episode one, Walter White. And after that, Walter White is entirely different, because he's already gone off the d- deep end. It It's basically... Better Call Saul goes from, like, uh, there's slight overlap. Oh, okay. There's, like, slight series overlap. It's not just, uh... It's not, hey, this is when Walter White meets Saul Goodman. All right, but that has nothing to do with our movie, does it? Well, yes, in the sense that uh, Brian Cranston is in all these movies for the entire time. Or the of, entire... The series and this movie? Well, when you say this movie, he's maybe, like, he's there. Huh. And the advertisements. Well, you know, like, most of the things that he's in, he is in there for a, enough to make a couple of episodes of a TV show. Oh. Well, I mean, let's move on then. We got uh, plot holes. We got to fill those plot holes. What are we doing it with? I want to throw some nuclear waste in there, but... That's all missing? Yeah. yeah. I can't find it. It'll show up. Maybe it'll just put sequel bait in. There you go. Plenty yeah. of that in there. As we talk about Godzilla 2014. So... We swear, or all three of us could say, yeah, we've totally done Godzilla 2014. But when we actually went to look and make sure, like, hey, do we need to watch Godzilla King of the Monsters or 2014? We couldn't find a 2014 episode. So if you are living in the Bernstein Bears universe, sorry for the duplicate. Also, the the caveat here is this was Eric's idea, not mine. Surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah, the. But I'm guessing you watched this movie then, Eric? I did watch this movie. And what's the plot? So the plot is set yourselves in, um, what, 2014, 2011, Japan? When did. Uh, anyways. Or no, it would have been the 1980s. Or 1990s? It was 1990s. Set yourself in 1990s Japan. You have your titular. Or your. Your family, not your titular family, because, well, that's Godzilla. The Godzilla family. (laughs) I don't think Godzilla ever took a wife. He has a son, though, so we might be unfaithful. Besides the point. The son's adopted. So he's not a stepdad. He's just a dad that stepped up. Yes. And then stepped down on Tokyo. Whatever. Anyways. So there's a guy, and he has a family, yeah, and like, they're in the 90s Japan. They're in 90s Japan. And and this, everyone else in Japan at the time is in the 90s as well. It's not... I, yeah, set your set your time machine to 1990, because you're all going to be 90s kids. 
you have Brian Cranston leading a family as he works in a Japanese nuclear power plant. He is one of their, I want to say nuclear engineers. He helps just determine that the reactors are running safely, but he's getting some really weird readings. And well, those weird readings end up turning into a nuclear meltdown, unfortunately. Well, Brian, oh, and during this time, Brian Cranston loses his wife uh, to an, the nuclear accident. Fast forward to 20, the 2010s. I don't know. I don't know if it's set in 2014, but it's concurrent as when this movie came out. Brian Cranston may have gone a little bit obsessive on figuring out why, uh, why did this happen? Why did, why was there a nuclear uh, accident? Because there's an issue. He's getting the same readings again. Dun, dun, dun. Well, it turns out that this wasn't just your run-of-the-mill nuclear accident. No, this was a nuclear accident caused by a monster. The monster doesn't really have a name. I think they just call it a MUTO. Uh, and that's an acronym for something. I can't remember. Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism. So, this monster is eating the nuclear power plant. Until it eats all the radiation. And then it... Um, Attacks the so this Muto attacks the nuclear power station or whatever's left of it to finish off eating the radiation it had started back in the 90s. During this attack on the nuclear power plant, Brian Cranston is unfortunately killed. Bum, bum, bum. So the guy you thought was going to be in the majority of the movie really the one the one you thought was the anchor for the all the performances they definitely based the advertising on him. Yeah, he dies in the first 30 minutes. That we then pick up with his son, who all he's trying to do is just get back to his family in San Francisco. But unluckily enough, the monster is following this guy from Japan to San Francisco. But as soon as the... When they land in Hawaii so he can make his connecting flight, this Muto is intercepted by another monster. Some say the king of the monsters. Maybe the... Uh, uh, Prime Minister of the Monsters. I don't know if you still believe in the uh, uh, royalty. But it is intercepted by Godzilla. And they duke it out. Off screen. Off screen. <laughs> Off screen, yeah. <laughs> it saves plenty of money that way. But this guy realizes that, hey, um, he's a military man. And he can use his military expertise to help the military in doing whatever they're doing. And what they're doing is trying to stop the Muto from reaching, I think, Las Vegas. And it's definitely San Francisco or San Francisco. I can't remember because they find out that there is a second Muto. The uh, mate of the first one. And they're just going to want to make a lot of Muto babies. So hundreds of giant monsters running around would not be the best thing. But... That's not really important. What's really important is it gives us an opportunity for Godzilla to fight two monsters. So that's basically, they get to San Francisco and Godzilla fights two monsters and then does a cool kiss of death with the, uh, the atomic breath. Unlike the 1998 version, which did not have a breath attack, it maybe uh, lit a gasoline truck on fire. That's besides the point. This is proper atomic breath. Godzilla beats the two monsters and then... 
saunders off into the ocean to fight again yeah yeah i don't know godzilla kind of he doesn't really shamble but he also it's not like running look when you're oh was he is he a 60 meter i think this one's 100 meters all right no this is the 155 I thought that was Shin Godzilla. All right, so it's 154. If only there was some. Because <laughs> I thought Shin Godzilla was the biggest one, and the American one then comes Well, in the American one was the biggest, and then they did Shin Godzilla just bigger. <laughs> and then for uh, King of the Monsters, Godzilla gained enough to be just bigger than Shin, and that's when uh, Planet Godzilla came out, and they made him like... <laughs> the size of a mountain. The size of a mountain. <laughs> okay, that's funny. I'm sure Richard could talk about the size and the facts, but that's basically the point of the Godzilla movie. You see Godzilla fight two monsters and Godzilla wins and he does a cool. Yeah. But, but, I, cool but I was saying when, when you're a monster that big, you don't have to be in a hurry to get anywhere. Cause it's not going to get away from you. All right. But yeah, that's basically all I have. Um, let's see. Okay. Showa era is 50 meters. Uh, Millennium Godzilla is 55 meters. GMK, uh, so Godzilla. GM, GMK is a smaller one. I think he's like 40. He's 60 meters. Okay. What does GMK stand for? Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah. Oh, uh, okay. Is that just for the movie or? That, that's the name of the movie. It's Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah. It's shortened to GMK. Uh, the Zilla is 70 meters. So apparently we don't count that one. Heisei is 80 meters. Yeah. Um, Heisei or Godzilla 2 is 100 meters. Final Wars Godzilla is 100 meters. Godzilla Ultima is 100 meters. Shin Godzilla is 118. And Monster vs. Godzilla is 120. Yeah, see? And so, yeah, I'm thinking... Oh, in 2014, he was 108 meters. Then Shin Godzilla came out, and so... And they bumped up 10 meters. And so, King of the Monsters, they bumped up 12 meters. All right, I, I don't know if I'll keep that in because it's just a bunch of little rambling. But yeah, Godzilla's big, but yeah, he doesn't. He just had a big fight too. He could just he can saunter into the ocean. Yeah, he doesn't have to try. He's gonna get there. I think he does actually. Look, it's the soccer mom Godzilla. It's fine. <laughs> He's gonna turn this planet around. He he has gone through, dealt with the dealt with the noisy kids, had a nap, and is now going back. He's got things to do today. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's the plot. Now time for facts. All right. So this came out on May 16th, 2014. Had an estimated budget of $160 million. Earned $93 million in its opening weekend. Uh, had a U.S. gross of $200 million And worldwide, $524 million. All right, so it kind of needed the worldwide to to really make a profit. Yeah, I mean, but like with prints and ads, obviously it didn't make a profit. But yeah, worldwide, well, they made sequels. I was gonna say, I hope they make some sequels to this, but we know they made sequels to this. So. <laughs> they did, uh, actually, based on its reception on the opening weekend, they greenlit the two sequels. Even though it had a fairly sharp drop off. Even though it had a fairly sharp drop off. Uh, I believe that's probably because of the Cranston effect. Mm-hmm. Where a lot more people interested when they thought Brian Cranston was a main character. Was the lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he's just like the supporting character and has a limited screen time. 
But no, they they did greenlight them within two days of the launch. Had they already greenlit? Um, so it's Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Had they already greenlit Kong as well? Yes, that one was already in production, and they were planning on doing the whole monster verse thing. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, people people like their Godzilla. They like seeing monsters fight monsters. Like, how much? There, there's pure joy in watching monsters fight monsters and smashing a city in the process. Because Pacific Rim did pretty well, too. Like, obviously, when we're not. Go back and listen to our Pacific Rim episode if you want to know exactly how much. Self-referential. All yeah. right. So, uh, more facts. We interrupted you. Sure. Sure. Plenty of facts. Uh, the, with the first American Godzilla, they went to the, uh, Marine Corps and had the Marines help with it. And they went initially to the Marine Corps for this one too. And the Marine Corps decided that they did not want to be a part of the God's, an American Godzilla film anymore. Which is why they are now with the Navy in this one. They should have gone with the Air Force. Oh, wait, no, no. The Air Force doesn't want to fight aliens, but the Marine Corps will. Is that the that phrase? I mean, it was just the the Marine Corps was just like we already did it a Godzilla film, and we didn't like it, and we didn't like it, <laughs> and so they declined, and so the Navy cooperated with this one. You know, with Godzilla always being in water at the beginning, that makes sense. Got to have them boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's. A bunch of Godzilla references to a lot of other things throughout the film. Um, there's the Mothra moth cage. There's a Rodan in the classroom. There's the outfit of our lost little boy to go with all of the other lost little boys in Godzilla films ever. It's uh, what the yellow shirt and blue pants and like a hat or a something? baseball hat. Yep. The Kenny. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, the skydiving sequence was uh, actually done live. They actually got a bunch of skydivers to do it. Uh, God- I mean, it takes a lot to organize a skydive jump around Godzilla, though, right? It does. It takes a lot of stuff. Um, one of the, the flares. <laughs> uh, the one of the main cinematographers, uh, Seamus McGarvey was trying to show up to one of the sets early to get a bunch of stuff to figure out where they were going to do cameras and things mm-hmm. ended up going to a set for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that was nearby using a similar set. Oh. And so he's, he talked about how he was walking around with his light meter and then just starts seeing all of these people. He doesn't know who any of these people are <laughs> and was just like, I, this is so strange. And it took him like 30 minutes before he realized he was at the wrong set. And this would have been the uh, Planet of the Apes where it's the CG apes. So there's actually no like monkey people walking around uh-huh. in costume. So it's just Andy Circus doing everything. And just Andy Circus walking around. And that's the thing is that Andy Circus was actually involved on this film as well. Because they, ca- they did a lot of motion capture for both Godzilla and the Mutos. And so Andy Serkis was involved in both. Because he does. Because he does motion capture. I mean, he does it really well, too. He does. He does. Uh, And then uh, during the opening scene, we have Ken Watanabe is actually dressed 
as uh, Ag uh, Ag Subaraya, who was the um, special effects director on the original Godzilla film, and so they have him wearing the same hat, glasses, suit jacket yeah. that Ag was known for. He was he was taking his style. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, there's. There's a bunch. Oh, there's always plenty of trivia and facts with the Godzilla film. Because, let's see, we've got the golden dragon head when we're filling up the nest with gasoline as our le- uh, as, as our, our nod to Ghidorah. Yeah. Um, we've got the uh, flagship of the task force being named the Saratoga because that was, you know, the carrier that was sunk during nuclear bomb tests. Um, all of the different bits, you know, the Mutos being based on like five or six different actual insects where there's like cicadas that actually go on, go into hibernation for like 15 years yeah, and cricket species that do long distance mating calls and different types of spiders that will actually show up with a present for the female so I brought you this nuclear bomb. Hope you like it. Please don't eat me. Um, but uh, yeah, the film's budget was more than the 1998 Godzilla's entire domestic gross, and they actually got Toho to give them the original Godzilla sound effects that they were able to use for the roar. They just kind of upped it a little bit to make it a little bit more rumbly and organic. Yeah, and gets up the reverb. Mm-hmm. And he, oh, it was something like a 340 million polygon model for the CG Godzilla that's had an absurd render time on it, which is one of the reasons why our title character doesn't show up until an hour into the film, because it takes a lot to render that. Now you got to turn it on and come back in a week and say, all right, how does the footage look? And be like, it looks terrible. And they're like, mm, there goes a week. Pretty much. Pretty much. And they do try to have the, uh, where his appearance, first appearance, where they do the pan shot from his feet up to his head, just like they did for the uh, 85 yeah. Godzilla, and bring back in the Godzilla March. There were a lot of good things. Yeah, it just seems like this Godzilla seems to be more referential to the old Godzillas. Instead of, we're going to start our own thing, Let let's remember what preceded us hey they reference other films too it's fine i mean we can talk about this we'll talk about this in the actual like when we talk about the movie but it's fact time it is or are we done with facts is that the last fact uh we can go with the the other movie the one of the other movies they reference because i like it uh david stratham's character says the whole too many secrets line to quote uh whistler out of sneakers and i do likes myself sneakers so there you go. There's there's some Godzilla facts. There's loads more. Anytime you need a Godzilla fact, we can just John Godzilla fact. I want a random fact. Yeah, just give us a fact. 
Oh shoot! <laughs> I was I was gonna say the uh, Godzilla uh, foot to uh, head view was also used in Godzilla two thousand. See, Godzilla fact. I thought you were gonna bring out you know Godzilla's roar was made by taking a resin covered like a tree resin glove and running it over uh, p- piano wires. Yeah, I thought about that. It was a still drum, and <laughs> but we already covered that fact, so I had to think of a different one. And I was thinking of earlier when he mentioned, oh, they had this shot. And I'm like, well, they also did it in this movie, not just the 1985 one. I mean, we can talk about like uh, his atomic breath is no longer the concentrated solid beam, but the more wispy heat wave closer to the Showa era Godzilla. Yes. Yes. Than the 2000s. Yeah. The 2000s was a solid beam. OG was a bit more gassy because it was, you know, the... uh, the gas steam used to make it mm-hmm. and then there's the uh the super plasma one from shin Godzilla. yes lasers everywhere so it's, it's not a laser it's a plasma beam yeah it's 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 hot not that lasers can't get hot or whatever but godzilla's cool <laughs> all right so plot holes then are you ready to defend a godzilla film for its plot holes I am so prepared. Where are we getting our plot holes from? Well, we've got our good old standby IMDb. All right. So uh, here we go. It is well established that the Mutos are sensitive to radiation, enough to detect the reactor of a deep diving submarine. So when they decide to use a nuke for a decoy, instead of removing the warhead and putting it in a radiation-proof container to try to hide it, they put the whole missile on an open flatbed rail car and transport it over open country. Well, I'm going to say is if the monsters are sensitive enough to like pick out submarines, there's not a lot of radiation proof stuff you have left because it's going to have to be a pretty th- people usually just use lead to shield from radiation because lead lead is really dense and will stop the the decay, the gamma rays, beta rays, alpha rays, I think. Gamma radiation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's three types of radiation. Yeah, but gamma is the hardest one to block. Mm hmm. So lead is nice and atomically, you know, thick. It's nice and put together. So it stops the gamma rays. But you're good. If it, water's also really good at stopping radiation. Especially when you have a whole ocean of it. Yeah, like it only takes a couple meters of water to stop it, even in like in a radioactive, in a a reactor. mm -hmm. So like you you could go swimming in the cooling pool of a nuclear reactor. You have to get within a few feet of the actual physical material for it to actually start radiation, for the radiation to damage you. So if it can sense the radiation through an ocean of water, let's assume a mile thick, uh, a mile of water. Citation needed. Well, how, okay. What's the average Oceans might be a little bit bigger than a mile. (laughs) <laughs> well, like I'm going deep depth wise. Yeah, like if it's on the surface, it's like swimming on top or flying over, and it looks down and says, "Wait, there's a there's a submarine a thousand meters below the surface going on down there." Um, we'll we'll even throw it off of the fact that uh, the uh, female muto eats the radiation that's in a mountain in a facility designed to stop radiation from getting out. Though, to be fair, she was put there. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to change my mile. So, 
we looked, we checked with our the all-knowing source Google. It's about 3,700 meters on average. So if a monster can sense, and this is just from the top, so from the top down, 3,700 meters, and again, it can tell that there's some radiation there, it's going to need to be astronomically thick lead shielding around. I don't think the train's going to be able to pull that. How many trains does it take to, to carry the nuke with the lead shielding across country? Well, not even that. It has to go through trussles and tunnels. The nuke physically can't get through the well, transportation network. Here's the other option, is that we can have it be super sensitive to the radiation, which could be. It could also be just have been swimming along when the nuclear when the submarine was just cruising along the surface and it went, huh, nice snack. It just got lucky. All right. But so it gets just lucky. So what, uh, what about the one on the trail car? Why didn't they uh, shield it then? They didn't know that it was super with that it was hunting for radiation at the time. Well, they know that it or that it was like super sensitive to it or anything like that. They're just like, well, we're just going to take it. Well, they know that it's after radiation because that's the whole plan. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of radiation sources. I'm sticking with you You physically couldn't shield the nuke just with how sensitive the MUTO is. Sure. A, a MUTO can sense uh, a drop of radiation um, 300 meters away. <laughs> well, 3,000 meters away. I don't know how well, deep the nuclear subs operate. but Not that, not super deep compared to the ocean. I'm really. just saying like a, like a shark can sense the yeah. blood. The like ocean is in fact really deep. It's big. The ocean is big, big. Yeah, Mudo's like, ah, oh, you got radiation? I know you got radiation. It's like sitting there, hmm, mm-hmm, this guy's got a phone, that guy's got a cell phone, mm-hmm. guy's got his microwave on. Oh, wait, there, oh, over there, that's some real radiation. That's the good stuff. Yeah. That's gamma, baby. Mm-hmm. Gonna go get myself a nuclear submarine. I think they pronounce it nuclear hoagie. John. Oh, okay, it's, it's a hoagie. <laughs> It's only a submarine on the East Coast. <laughs> I actually think it's backwards, but besides the point, I think it's Hoagie on the East Coast. And, Ooh. Oh. Well, quick, yeah. quick internet. Because I know Philadelphia, it's a Hoagie, or Boston, it's a Hoagie, because I think it's Subway on the West Coast, which is where we get most of our linguistic mannerisms. I mean, submarine makes sense, because mm-hmm. more, aren't more subs launching out of a west coast than east coast uh pretty much everywhere except for pennsylvania it's a submarine oh uh, okay so pennsylvania's hoagies uh-huh <laughs> okay all right yeah i think i think that the mutos can just find it like it's a waste of time the object is to keep it moving time and resources also like as i understand you use the rel because they already had the rels like like when they made the uh, um, Apollo ship, wasn't it based on the fact that the parts had to be transported by rail? Yep. And they were limited by that way. So wouldn't a lot of the older uh, missiles, like the one they wanted to use. The Miniman missiles. Um, also be around that size. Sure. And so the extra, like any sort of layering over it would make it too large to go through a tunnel. It certainly could. But the missile itself wasn't bigger, wasn't like a, a Minuteman size. It was, I don't know, probably about the size of this room, like lengthwise. I mean, but then also you got to think, oh, where are they going to get a, a perfectly molded lead and 
12 hours or less. Well, I mean, you get, you just get ingots or See, something. Their plan for a plot hole was to just remove the warhead, stick it in a nuclear shielded thing, and then tr- put it on the train car instead of trying to transport an entire missile. Yeah, I'm just saying something that's going to block the radiation that well is just not lying around. I feel like that would be made to order. Look, you just go over to a foundry, pour some lead over the top of your warhead, and call it good. How long does it take for lead to cool? Actually, not very long. You can Especially play, that much lead. You can play with lead like on a normal stove. Don't do that, kids. Yeah, but we're talking like several feet of lead, aren't we? It, oh, it'd have to be. Like, I think... But still, like, with the nuclear submarine, it doesn't... Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It would go for it anyway. Yeah. Plus, you'd only be... She- like. Your shielding only works so much. It's just, it turns the uh, nuclear warhead into the a kinder warhead. Yeah. And we put it on a train because we had easy access to that particular bit of infrastructure to take it over. Like, yeah, if they're just trying to get it to the, the fast, why don't they just put it on a plane or something? I mean, there are planes that can carry warheads. But that's how they do it in the movie. So, I don't know. Next plot hole, though. So, if it is possible for a plane to fly high enough to stay out of EMP range, then it was impossible for the creature to knock out spy satellites. I'm so with the Mudos, I think they give off EMP, but they have to actually like charge the MP. So it's not going off all the time. Is that maybe like the Mutos tried really, really hard? Like, uh, look, the Muto sees a satellite and it's going to knock it out of the sky. And so, yeah, the plane is able to get over in the time. It's like, okay, this isn't, maybe they're asleep or they're doing the dirty. Um, cause they, cause they, so they do the, uh, helos jump, right? Is that what it's called? The high out, the halo, 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 not helo, the halo jump, jump, the high altitude, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, and then there's a whole bunch of eggs already laid. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure the Mutos were distracted at the moment. All right. So I, I just feel like the, the Muto can uh, channel their uh, EMP into different shapes. They have... It's like conical and... Yeah, they can make a, a spear EMP-focused EMP att- blast. See, all, like that, this I'll is a standard. This is a standard kaiju thing. Is the like, big question is whether or not we were using spy sats, uh, navigation satellites, early like the communication satellites, weather satellites, or photography satellites. Because these are all different altitudes. Because if we're talking like most spy sats, you're looking at between six hundred to a thousand two hundred miles straight up. So, but I mean that's that's less than a plane. That, that that's the thing is, is all these satellites are above the no. plane. So if the plane's okay, well that's the thing is the the if they it knocks out the satellites when they lose track of it over the ocean, that's what they do. So if it's capable of knocking out the satellites that are six hundred miles up, yeah, it should it should stop it the can, plane. It should stop the plane, but it just doesn't get the plane. And I think that's the the biggest one is that it's just. Anytime we see the EMP, it is actively making the choice to EMP. And it, it does flicker it because it's like, oh, this is an effective strategy, so I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. 
But like when they're laying on the train bridge on the train trellis, they've got electronic stuff with them and it's working and it all works the entire time. So it's not that it just has a 600 mile EMP field around it. It has to make the choice to use the EMP. And so like you said, if it's distracted, busy laying eggs while we fly the airplane over, then the airplane's going to be okay. I mean, and if they're going in with the knowledge that at any time their electronics can turn off on the airplane, couldn't they prepare, like, go in for coasting and be set for if we lose power now, we'll still maintain altitude until we... uh Mm-hmm. Until it can restart, or most planes are. I know some planes, military planes at least, are hardened against EMP. So they have at least basic hardening. So, but could you still like do fly by wire, like no electronics or whatever, like basically just analog equipment? The EMP wouldn't really affect that, would it? If it was purely analog, like then... that's hard to say in the year 2014 because, well everything's super connected mm-hmm. and it's the military. But the other thing where if it, they are going with like the whole high altitude drop, then we're, I mean, like, they, they have they're, to they're communicate. Dealing with what they said five miles up. So it's 2,600 feet. That's not the kind of a flying where you are sitting there with the map, looking down below you making comparisons. Cause it's like, Oh, that's great. Yeah, you have probably have GPS like telling you exactly where you need to jump and But but I feel but like at the same time it's lower than most commercial jetliners. So See, I feel like uh like they were prepared in case of an EMP that they can continue on the mission. Mm-hmm. Well, and and if the they were if it just doesn't burst for them, then they're safe. Well, and that's the thing though is I think that cuz when they were talking about he volunteers that he wants to go on the drop, right? And they say, if you don't walk out, you aren't leaving. They, everybody who went in on that mission knew that it was a suicide mission. And so the pilots of the airplane, it was the, you may not live through this. But we didn't have a whole lot of other choices. So this is what we got to do. They didn't go in knowing that it was going to be safe. They took a calculated risk and it paid off. But if Amuto really wanted to, we can knock out a spy satellite. You could have totally done that. Yeah, if it really wanted to, because like I said, spy sats are between 600 to 1200 miles, which really begs the question of how much of uh, how much of San Francisco really got knocked out, because that will interrupt the entire Western seaboard's power structure. Well, isn't that almost to like Utah, at least the other side of Nevada, like 600 miles? Yeah, it's big. Well, we know they can communicate across across an ocean, an ocean, and Mudos have a capability of doing a lot of things. I'm assuming that's what was going on. It was knocking out the satellites because it's all like, "Wait, I sense a signal up there." Nope, nope, nope. None of these are Muto. Nope, nope. Just like pointing at each satellite, shooting a shooting a focused EMP pulse. Yeah, to try and communicate and just not working. All right, well, now that we've dealt with MUTOs and spy satellites, we have one last EMP question. The decoy boat had been hit by an EMP that rendered it inoperable. 
which means it would not restart on its own like we see at the very end of the film. Isn't it a gas engine? Yeah, but if it has a computer in there, like I think they use GPS navigation. To that autopilot. was what they were doing. Ah, um, I'm not. I don't. I'm not super knowledgeable about EMPs. But if a device is off, does the EMP still affect it? If the device is off, it protects it from most of the EMP. Uh, as I'm sure everyone is surprised. Richard did a lot of reading on EMPs. If you put your electronics in rice. Does it protect it from an EMP? Is it off? <laughs> yes, it's often in rice. Uh, then it is marginally safer than not in rice, but not significantly so. So store your electronics in rice. You probably have to have an anti-static bag or whatever to like. Oh yeah, definitely pro- protect. Like I, I say in huge air quotes because I'm pretty sure like if an EMP went off that could hit satellites like 600 miles above. Most living things aren't living through that either. I'm just saying you just need to store it in your microwave because your microwave is a Faraday cage. Uh, And that would keep your stuff safe. See, I I feel... Don't don't turn on the microwave, though. Store all your cell phones in microwaves, children. All of them. But but don't turn it on. But it's really cool to see, like, have a cell phone. Uh, Okay. So have a call with a cell phone, put one of the cell phones in the microwave in the microwave and then close the door and notice how it just drops off. That's what a Faraday cage does. It protects uh, from electronic electrical interference. See, but I'm throwing with it because because we're talking about if the GPS works. So I'm just like they're complaining that the boat even starts. And I'm like. So, so the boat should start if it's um, if it is purely analog. So, well, it's, it's going to be, it will have a start, uh, spark plug and it'll have a spark plug and a gas what, injector. And if it's it, an old enough boat, it might have to have a carburetor because I think fuel injection requ- relies on, um, microchips because the computer has to tell, say, Hey, inject this much fuel. Don't inject this. Or, but there wouldn't be any internal battery, right? For that kind of microchip. See, but there would be a battery for the engine itself. Uh, unless it was like a pull cord. Uh, oh, like shoot. Now I'm trying to think back to how he actually starts the boat. It's a, it's a key. It's a Most key. Mm-hmm. It's a key. So he's got to turn the key. But that means that the, there is a. There's uh, like a car battery. The, 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 it's no connection connection when you turn. And then it, the starter turns it over. Like it's like basically like a car. So except... I think it would be pretty resistance to the EMP pulse then because. Most of the electronic but would be separate the from thing the thing itself is that it shouldn't restart on its own when the EMP like after it goes. Oh, okay. It would knock out the it would knock out your boat. You could turn the boat back on later, but it's not just going to come back on. It is if you're spring for the auto come back on after EMP aftermarket modification the anti-kill switch the anti-kill switch because some boats have the uh the kill switch in case you fall off a boat it shuts the engine off maybe not this one maybe it was bypassed it's ba- it's basically a death trap yeah look we just have to get this boat to start on its own and they wanted to make sure like because they want to make sure it gets there so they had to make sure that it would restart in case of emp because the they prepared it right this wasn't just some random boat it was some random boat. That is literally what this was. So there's one thing that can happen with... Because uh, their planned boat got blown up. So if you have a gasoline engine, there's something that can happen to your uh, in the cylinders of the engine. It's called dieseling. That's if the gasoline gets hot enough that it doesn't need a spark. It just 
um, it can start firing on its own. It doesn't uh, need the spark plug. It's actually really bad for the engine. But, but you, if you're going to blow up the boat. Um, it, but the boat will not turn off because it's just a self-petuating. Uh, self- but this boat did turn off. But then it but turned, then it back, turned on. back on. The gasoline was just hot enough that it could uh, compress and explode, and then it started back up Yeah, again. yeah, so it got interrupted mid-cycle, but the heat didn't disperse, and then it took a second for the uh, energy to get to the the gasoline, and then it de- started dieseling itself. I'm going to say maybe the EMP pulse like agitated the gas and uh, gasoline enough that it heated it up. It, see, it, it's the same thing as like when you're giving someone CPR, you have to yell their name really loud or else they won't wake up. Maybe pound on their chest a bit like they do in the movies. That's the same thing that happened. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's almost as if it looks like we're causing Richard pain. See, Richard, they stole a random boat. They got lucky and it was a smuggling boat that had a false stop. Aha. Uh-huh. So option. this this one had a backup generator designed to kick in. It has a backup generator in. to kick in and, and start in case, you know, like if you need to turn off the engine, you turn off the engine when the police show up. And then if it looks like things are going bad, the other engine, you can just start up again after a while in order to uh, get a quick getaway. See, and I was just going to go with it was some kind of fishing boat. But it was like a commercial one, so it actually had like a refrigerated container inside the boat that needed extra power, and so it had a backup battery so that if your main engine went out, your refrigeration would still go. I actually think it is a fishing boat, if i like remembering. Yeah. It is a fishing boat. Yeah. But it could was... still be a smuggler's boat. Look, it's a really old guy's uh, fishing boat, and he doesn't trust electronics, so it's completely analog. But it had an autopilot. It, okay, so yeah, this is what do you look? What do you expect in a Godzilla movie? You're there for the monster. We are fights. here to spackle the plot holes. That is what people literally give us money to do. So I am going to demand that we do these people justice and spackle this. I think we figured it out. The electronics were in rice. Yeah, and microwaves. How do they work? It's magnets. No one knows how they work. We know exactly how microwaves work because it's yeah, ra- but, giant radar dishes that cook things in your pocket. Uh, but the the microwave has a thing in there that actually cooks the food called the magnetron. I don't know how that works. It's a magnet. It, no, it, it just spins things. It's a magnetron. Richard. Yeah, that's what trons do. They spin things. I'm You've pretty, watched Tron. I'm pretty sure Tron like fights for the users. With? Spinning. A frisbee no, that he throws. A bike. With that has spinning, spinning wheels. wheels. No, it has a light trail. It doesn't have wheels. Okay, okay, okay. I want to interrupt you to say we just learned that Tron is a Sith user because he's spinning. Look. And that is a good trick. Uh-huh. Look, that we had the whole MCP and he's, what is he doing in the light column? Spinning. Spinning the entire and time. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> back to Godzilla. So well, yeah, we were talking about magnets and how they don't work. Look, this guy was sitting there one day and he's he's buying his fishing boat. And he's like, you know what? What if an MP, a, a EMP hits my boat and like I get knocked out? See, I, need I to, think to he's go just back. a guy who's paranoid about the Cold yeah, War. He's a prepper. He's a prepper. But you still need the like satellites and whatnot because that's just convenient for your job. Yeah, oh, because he wants to get some fishing done. And his, he's left his boat there so he could get to his bunker in time. Mm-hmm. 
there we go. I am now satisfied. He was a prepper who was built. It was a prepper who was ready for like EMP blasts from the Cold War. To disrupt his boat. There. There. That's better. That feels right. (laughs) I think that's all the plot holes from IMDb. That Uh, is all the plot holes from IMDb. Do we have any personal ones or? I mean, we could talk about how dead people would be when that nuke went off. Yeah, let's talk about how dead people would be. Because... Is it very... Okay, on a scale of one to Mothra, how dead are they? Um, We're... We're sitting at pretty dead. Pretty dead. We're probably at like a eight and a half. Oh, so not quite Mothra there, but... We're, we're like a King Caesar. Because if they had managed to get the, get the nuke... So... Richard gets himself on government watch list, guys. You know this. It's yeah, what I yeah. do. You I have unsafe you went searches. You research what happens if you nuke San Francisco? I went and researched what happens if you nuke San Francisco, and I worked with all of the various scenarios that they did. Because the initial plan was detonating it off of 20 miles off of the coast of San Francisco. That puts an estimated fatality of only about 4,600 people. If it's 20 miles off the coast. Yeah, 4,600 people isn't a large number for a nuke. It's not. It's the 335,000 injuries. Yeah, uh, and, and radiation. And the radiation. The though, generally, the the predominant winds go west, so it goes out over the Pacific above it. Ah, and so it causes uh, everyone so else to have problems. Everybody else will have problems later, but it actually doesn't have that big of a fallout effect on the rest of the country. But... So, re- stopping you really quick, Richard, did they say how big the nuke was? They did. How big was that nuke? Uh, that nuke was a 20,000 megaton, or yeah, a 20 megaton bomb. So it's not quite as big as our bomba. But I did have, I, they did give me a specific yield to work with, which was very kind. Yeah. And, and I, I was going to say, like, there are definitely smaller, <coughs> like, tactical nu- nuclear bombs that, like, they might only take out, like, a city block. It's not like a whole city-destroying bomb, but... Yeah, but those won't put a dent in Godzilla. They know that. I know. I'm just... To try, to try and give uh, the movie the benefit of the doubt, maybe it was a smaller nuclear warhead. But, I mean, this the 20 megaton is like, you know, five kilo- a small or five personal megatons. nuclear warhead. Hey, the Second Amendment says I can have one of those. I got to stop tyrannical governments. Look, the just I'm just saying that the fireball radius is bigger than the city of San Francisco. Which is where we'll get to for the backup plan of setting it off in the middle of downtown. Because that was our backup plan. And if you set off the nuke in the middle of downtown San Francisco, you're looking at over a million dead. Even if you had gotten most of those people out of the city, like I said, your fireball radius from a 20, 20 megaton bomb is bigger than the city of San Francisco. Fortunately... We didn't go it. We didn't end up with that. It's put on a boat and tried to send out into the ocean. I gave it like, you know, a good five miles out. Five miles seems fair. Yeah, we don't know how many knots it was going at the time. It had to be going pretty fast, though. Like, I'm assuming there, oh, there yes, has to yes. be a time skip. But like in the 30 seconds or whatever, it's like, um, I don't think this is going to get that much farther out. Yeah. Uh, so it's like... 
five miles an hour, five miles out is a generous thing for it. And that puts us at only 263,000 deaths. Now, admittedly, this is based on just average daily stuff where most, where a bunch of people were already in shelters and evacuated. It would make it less. Yeah, I, uh, like the in-city explosion would probably do a lot against some of those shelters. Yeah, the, most of those shelters are probably gone. And even if you lived through it, you would not live through it. I thought so back in high school, I don't know if you guys had to do this, but I know um, the high school I went to had a bomb shelter in the actual high school. And we were, we had to go down there one day. We had a gym. (laughs) My high school was built in like the early cold war. So I guess that's true. So it's like, okay, this was on everyone's mind. And it's like, okay, if you're in the bomb shelter, you're in there for 17 days minimum. Because there's too much fallout. Just look around and say, you're going to be in here for two weeks. How do you feel? I've been in here two minutes. I want out. Yeah, it's like, it's pretty crazy. Uh, But um, when we were there, they're like, oh, yeah, this used to be the rifle class. And you could still see like 22 shells on the ground. And yeah, it's not there anymore. That's That's not a class anymore. No, they just use it for like storage. But it was pretty cool to go see. I wouldn't want to be there for like 17 days, but... I wouldn't make it anyways. Oh, they also told us how if uh, when they barricade the door, they wouldn't use like cement blocks. They would just use like a whole bunch of reams of like boxes of reams of paper because like three reams deep is basically as strong as concrete. So pretty cool. Fun factoid. Paper's heavy. It is heavy. And if you when, don't believe me, go listen to the Ocean's Eleven episode. Paper gets heavy. Uh, more called tie-ins. That's, that's like two... We keep referencing other things. What are we, Godzilla 2014? Who knows? almost want to call that a reference, but that's here, so it's circular. It's self-referential. All right. So so they did evacuate the city, but, I mean, you're just saying it was generally not the best plan? It was generally just not a good plan. Setting on a, off a nuke near a populated area not, not, I have two words tends for you, to be bad. Richard. Acceptable losses. And I'm willing to say that. I'm not saying that it's actually a plot hole. I'm just saying that their plan, like... Their plan was desperate. That's their what plan their plan was. Plan desperate. Was. And 20 miles off the coast... Would have been better. Would have been better, especially where they had already evacuated and put people into shelters. That would have mitigated most of the deaths. And, like, though that four, the 4,000 people is... I mean, how much damage has Godzilla and the Muto already done anyway? Yeah, like the one through Vegas and yeah. then the flooding in Hawaii. Yeah, like that's not bad. Because center of downtown, that's bad. Now, I've never, I don't know the topography of San Francisco, but is it on a, it's on a mountain, right? Because it's really hilly. Well, it's, it's, it's hilly, but the thing is, is most of the people, they, like the hills are away from the ocean, right? So sort of, if you look at your nuclear blast, does it look like, um, the mountains stop the, the blast? Like, Oh, well, uh, that depends. That depends on whether we're setting it off out in the ocean Mm -hmm. or in the middle of downtown, because if you're setting it off in the middle of downtown, that means you get to go into the, into the Bay area, 
which will have the mountains that channel it up through Oakland, Alameda, San Mateo, Redwood City, Palo Alto, Fremont, Hayward, Berkeley, Richmond, and San Rafael. So yeah, you want it out on the ocean. Well, yes. Where the hills will only get the people who live on the ocean side of it. Where it's just get better downward sweater under the sea. Because <laughs> if you set it off downtown, you hit everything else. If you go out in the ocean, you have a lot more of a buffer and the hills to block the more the the rest of the stuff, the surrounding things around San Francisco. But what? What if the nuke was a shaped charge? <laughs> uh. If the nuke was a shaped charge, yes, we could destroy all of it. Okay. <laughs> Can't make a shaped charge. That's the joke, everyone. I'm pretty sure you, they did it on Stargate, so... They, Look, you can with plastic explosives, You're allowed to make a shaped charge, John. It's it a just has... Circular is a shape, John. Spherical <laughs> is a shape. You can put the... You can make the container whatever shape you want. That's true. Like those little goose, uh, like, tinfoil things you get from fancy dinners. Yeah. Yeah, you can have a goose bomb. Peace was never an option. I think that they should have done... Is just like taking the nuke and put it in the shape of a spatula. Because the Muda would try and eat it, but it would get stuck. And it couldn't get it back out, and it couldn't swallow it. There you go. You basically want it hot dog shape. That's the most, like, choked on thing. There we go. Or no, ballpoint. A ballpoint pen cap is the most choked on object ever. So... Just make it into that shape. But we don't include the hole, so it chokes to death. See, that's the thing. That's why they shipped the whole missile. Oh. Because it's mostly ballpoint pen shaped anyway. If any military uh, like designers are on this, yeah, or, or listening to this, you should get on that. Yeah, you have an emergency. Giant ballpoint pen. Giant ballpoint pen to put the warhead in in case you need to choke a muto. Should we get back to talking about Godzilla? But like, we, <laughs> we haven't listen, stopped talking about I mean, Godzilla. Listening to the n- uh, nuclear fallout and like millions of deaths is all great and all whatnot. But is uh, is there anything else you need to share about that, Richard? Any fun facts about Look, the deaths of thousands of people? I'm just saying that probably doing that plus a combination of looking up uh, train schedules and the infrastructure <laughs> around San Francisco. And what's capable of carrying said missiles probably was not great for my watch history. You used a VPN, though, right? You think Nord pays me enough for that? Nord doesn't pay us at all. That could change, Nord. Hey, 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 Nord. You want to help me? Uh, help me uh, protect my IP so that the government doesn't know when I'm looking at uh, random nuclear things. See, and they had to take it by train because that was the safest way to transport it because then you can just have a diesel engine or even a coal. You can have a diesel engine, coal engine, and it was the furthest away from most civilian uh, stuff. And, well, train networks are just really efficient. Like, I mean... They can be. Uh, okay, you're not on the East Coast. But, I mean, like, when if you're traveling um, just in terms of, like, fuel used or whatever, train is really, really efficient. And I'm pretty sure the U.S. military would be able to commandeer, like, all the lines. Yes. Which is one of the reasons, like, instead of trying to transport it over a freeway where it would cause a bunch of panic, 
you can transport it through the rail lines where most civilians will never see it. Well, I mean, that's how they transport nuclear. They'll transport nuclear uh, material or weapons or whatever on the freeway. They just put it in mar- unmarked uh, white semi trucks. Sure. Oh, but- no, you have to carry markings. Okay, yeah, you carry a marking, but it says hazardous material. Hazardous material. It has the, it has a safety diamond on there, and it has it probably says nuclear material or whatever. But yep. or, but you don't have to say, hey, this was a nuclear weapon or whatever. You don't. But that's the whole thing with using the train is that having nuclear material, eh, it's fine. But you still have to deal with traffic, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're dealing with traffic in a bunch of places that are uh, are suddenly aware of mutos. And people are panicking and chogging, clogging where, where, the roadways. Wasn't it knocking uh, airliners out of the sky, too? It was. There's just all sorts of problems here. And so we use the train system that has a lot of analog devices that can that can be used to do it. It's out of the public eye. And, and the rails are a GPS of them in their own way. Yeah. And, they're a, and it is not a thing that is, you, you have a specific map and it's hard to get lost on. See, the one problem is, is they only had the one device. They should have had, like, five coming from different routes. Locations. So at least one gets there. Maybe they did. Maybe they did, but this is the only one we followed because it's the one that made it there. See, now, so, so are we going to talk about the movie in general now? Yeah, we're on movie in general. I mean, a lot of people complain because they say this movie shares a plot similar to another movie. Like planes, trains, and automobiles about the guy trying to get home and the annoying uh, character he keeps running into. Them danged Mutos. Those Mutos. They're the the John Candy of this. I mean, I'd almost say it's, it's so it's super similar to Cloverfield. Like Cloverfield's obviously like a monster movie or whatever, but man, it just kind of shows up like it's menacing those kids. Like it doesn't have anything better to do. Yeah, it just wants to uh, like, but. It's in New York, and it it just wants to eat these five specific kids. See, and I'd go with the Incredible Journey. So you know, there it's a an animal that is traveling thousands of miles just to find its way back home to San Francisco. Uh huh. Oh, I'm thinking Homeward Bound. I'm like, I'm pretty. Sh- I swear, I remember a movie like that. Man, I haven't watched that movie in a long time. <laughs> Blast from the past, right there. It even has a Godzilla joke. Oh, it does. Because Birdzilla, the turkey at the beginning. Mm, I mean, that's just general con- consensus. Everyone knows adding a Zilla to something is kind of like in Spanish. Makes it fierce. It, it means it's it big. big. It's like Spanish. Just add an isimo at the end. But anyway, so what? Uh, people complain that it's like one of those other movies. <laughs> well, I had some people say that it has basically the same plot as Godzilla 98. Or um, that it steals a lot from Because what's the same? They have both the same beginning. Your flashback photos and uh, old footage reels mm-hmm. of nuclear tests, and then they got to stop the uh, the big monster from breeding thousands of smaller monsters. I could see that. I think twenty fourteen did it better though. Twenty fourteen did it better. This is one of those ideas. Um, the execution of an idea matters just as much as the idea. Sometimes. See, the interesting thing with that complaint is that. There was push in 1994 for an American Godzilla film, and there was a bunch of script stuff. And this one has a lot of similarities to that one too. That's the one that had uh, Steve Winston or Stan Winston do work on it. Mm-hmm. 
for I think they were gonna do animatronic Godzilla in that one. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how I feel about like Stan Winston's the guy who did um like Jason the Argonauts, right? The no. stop motion. Stan or... Winston is the one who did Jurassic Park. Oh, okay, never and mind. And the Predator. Oh, so wait, but I guess some, the T Rex some of those were puppets, but Yeah, like the big T Rex. Uh huh. That you know puppet. That was them. Okay. All right. And this would have I been that. this would have been Godzilla after Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I can see that, but like you said, it's um, I execution matters as much as the principal idea, as, as the idea, yes. And so, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of uh, Brian Cranston in it, but that wasn't what his character's role was. That was because of marketing. Yeah, I, I think it's. There's two different directors for a film. You have your actual film director, but then you have a trailer director. Yeah. And the trailer director gets to do whatever they want. It, the film director has no say. Like, so the studio and the trailer director decide, Brian Cranston just got off Breaking Bad. We're going to use him to sell this movie. Yeah. So there's probably a bit of backlist. Like, if they hadn't done that, people would have just gone and watched it and enjoyed it. They would have, like, if they hadn't oversold Brian Cranston, you would have been happy with what you got. Um, remind. Do we see this in theaters? Like I saw this in theaters. I saw it in theaters. But did we see it together? I didn't. Maybe. I think I did it for my birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm. I swear I saw it with you. I know I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it with you guys. It could be. Yeah. This was a while ago now. Well, we've known each other for a bit. See, and it doesn't have the most Godzilla, uh, per movie. But sure. it has some of the highest quality Godzilla well, per scene. And like, you know, we, we talk, we see the Mutos a lot more than you see Godzilla, but even the Mutos only get 11 minutes of screen time in this whole film. So the director, uh, remind me who the director was. I can't Gareth remember. Gareth Edwards. Gareth mm-hmm. Edwards. He had just come off making another monster movie. Well, one of his, uh, um, what got him like people to look at him was he did a uh, critically acclaimed low budget monster film with excellent monster effects okay so well he definitely did uh he followed the spielberg uh jaws playbook where you know about the monster you hear about the monster but you really don't see the monster well see and that's one of the things he specifically cites as one of his inspirations for this film was jaws i mean jaws basically wrote the book on making movie monsters scary like how many minutes of jaws is there in jaws I think the movie is two hours long, but yeah. But how much of how many how much Jaws is there in Jaws? Because we have like glimpses of Jaws at most for most of it. Like we get the Jaws cam, the the, the dorsal fin as well. But. Jaws doesn't appear on screen until it hits an hour and twenty one minutes into the film, and after that he has about four total minutes of screen time. Because you you have it just pop out of the water. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, same with like Darth Vader. Who's a uh, iconic, but he doesn't have that much actual minutes in Star Wars: A New Hope. Like, yeah, he has his introduction scene, and then when he's around yeah, the he's, officers, it, I'd and, say he's in there more than Godzilla. Yeah, I, I he probably takes up. There's absolutely no Godzilla in A New Hope. Not even. Well, they did have the crate dragon, which uh, is why A New Hope wasn't quite as good as later films. <laughs> more Godzilla. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely ranked lowest in the Godzilla like hierarchy of films. I don't know. I think a new hopes above uh Godzilla's but revenge. In, in terms in terms <laughs> I of mean, Godzilla. Probably. Yeah, but in terms of Godzilla, it has a lot less. 
Um, but yeah, so Godzilla is a monster. The Mutos are monsters. You need to make monsters scary. And it it's a little bit excitement. You get a glimpse, like shots here and there of like, oh, here's, there's his ankle. Now we're Puritans again. Show a little ankle, Godzilla. See, see, see your Godzilla and he stands there and he roars and everyone's like, yes, we're going to get it. And then they cuts away. And then the door closes. And, and then you don't see Godzilla for a long time. But rewatching again, I actually, I remember seeing, think, seeing the theaters like, oh, okay, there's not a ton of Godzilla. But watching again, it's like, oh, there's more Godzilla than I remember. I, I do feel like this one is one that grows on you the more times you watch it. Um, oh, so remind me in the original, like, Gojira, there's not a ton of Godzilla in that one either, is no. there? Because, you know, Godzilla is the villain in that. You see the, the island scene where the hand puppet pops up. It's still it's still fair amount of Godzilla because, like, early on there isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. But once he, you know, destroys the Tokyo, that one has a lot more mm-hmm. scenes it's, there. It's the climax, though, so it's like, that's the bread and butter of the movie. Oh, I'm trying to remember if, because I don't think this is actually the one with the least Godzilla in it. But I can't think of which one that would be. I feel like it's uh one of the later 70s ones has not a lot of Godzilla. I think it's the uh, the one with... Uh, Jet Jaguar. Oh, the common writer. Yeah. Because they were trying to make him, it was supposed to be a movie about him. Oh, okay. Would... But there's still a lot of Godzilla on that. I'd have to go look at the list again of uh, Godzilla movies by order of Godzilla screen time. But I mean, I don't, I don't hate the movie because of the lack of Godzilla. Like Richard said, it was com- it was hard to render the Godzilla and I feel that they did a good job with the amount of screen time of giving Godzilla personality. Because I describe this as the soccer mom Godzilla because going to have to show up, deal with the rowdy kids in the back seat, and then, go, and then get everything else done today. And you can, you get the point where Godzilla is done. So... John, you would probably know more. Is this Godzilla like concurrent or does it, is it the same quote unquote Godzilla as the Japanese Godzilla? Like it's just, oh, hey, this is no, no, this Godzilla is not the same as the, uh, so it Godzilla at the, uh, the idea that, uh, Gareth Edward or, uh, Gareth Edwards had for the story was that this Godzilla is what inspired the movie Gojira. Okay. Like, someone saw this and said, oh, this is the monster. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just, I wasn't sure if, like, okay, God, Godzilla destroyed Tokyo, but, you know, as the years have gone on, it's... Yeah, this one does not have the oxygen... Uh, oxygen destroyer. Destroyer. Until the second one. Until movie. the second one. And that's the, one of the key things. So, yes, a lot of um, the Godzilla timelines include 1954's Godzilla as canon. This one does not. This one does not. It, well, it's canon in that it is a movie that exists. Yes. Uh, and I think another complaint I would have about this movie, though, and th- this could just be on the medium I was watching it, the movie was very dark. I was So I watched this movie on a 10-year-old laptop, and it just it was hard to make out the shapes. Everything just kind of there blurred are d- together. The darker scenes. It does play better on a larger screen. So I'm not faulting the movie for that, but I tend I do notice that Godzilla King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong, they aren't as dark anymore. But they're also later. 
And with bigger budgets too, because having it be a bit darker allows you to hide it's, it's some just of the digital effects. Way to cheat and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they did take it. If you notice the two sequels, Godzilla shows up a lot more in those. I think they were just taking the, okay, well, these are complaints about the first movie. Let's. Yeah, there wasn't enough Godzilla. So, okay, you want, we'll have way more you want Godzilla. Godzilla. We're going to give you so much Godzilla. And then we're going to give you too much King Kong instead. I like King versus I guess, Kong I guess it's just Godzilla. Kong because he's not a king yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's a king now when he took over the in, inner earth or whatever. The heck he rules in. hollow earth. But we'll talk about that later once we get to that movie. It's not like we're doing a series right now, though. So no. that'll be someday in the future. Whenever we're like, yeah, I don't know. Did what we do cover Kong? Watch? Skull Island? We've not covered Kong Skull Island. We haven't done any of the legendary. I think we've talked about it in one of our our Konga episodes. Oh, yeah, because we did cover the Kongs. Mm Because we covered Peter Jackson, the... I think you covered uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, Richard. No, no, Richard did Kong 2. Yeah. And then, well, someone... With the Mecha Kong. He did the Mecha Kong. I did the 1970s remake of King Kong. And then we just talked about the 30s Kong, right? Yeah. Because we've all seen that. Okay, yes, we've talked about Kong Skull Island, but only in that, hey, this is something that exists. So, yeah, we could talk about it eventually, but that'll probably be before we do another Godzilla episode, just at least after King of the Monsters or something. Besides the point, back to Godzilla. Carouseling around. Um, I wouldn't feel bad about sharing this movie with my kids, though. Like, would, would you guys recommend other people watch this? Well, yes, I, I you know. Always. Okay, sorry. Would non God? Would you recommend non Godzilla fans watch this? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a fair entry into the. Uh, Got to turn them into Godzilla fans somehow. And like I said, every like where God, there's not a lot of Godzilla, but where there is Godzilla, it is awesome. Like, can you think of a scene with Godzilla in it that you don't think is cool? Yeah, it's pretty hard. No, because yeah, like when he's coming through the ocean, he rises up, goes through the bridge. He's uh, um, having the explosions roaring, just going through it. When he's in the water, when you you get the first shot in uh, Hawaii, mm-hmm. when he's fighting the Muto, when he does the roar on a uh, oh. in Chinatown, mm-hmm. yeah, like <laughs> like the roar that made the Cinema Sins give him a couple sins back. <laughs> I haven't watched Cinema Sins in so long. That's that's but... one thing I remember is like that roar was so cool. I'm giving you some sins back. Um. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to watch Godzilla, I probably and you're you're not a fan of the original Japanese. Yeah, like, some of those are hard to watch. That's just because of you know culture well, and the nature of cinema has changed, and they are older and thus has slower paced. Mm-hmm. And it's just also they were made for a Japanese audience. You kind of have to Japanese like monster movies are a little bit different than American monster movies. And plus, it's it's the passage of time like things that you just consider a trope now that were originally a unique idea i mean they're 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 a trope for a reason they worked out yeah but they have to start somewhere but now you know you've been through all the redos and to where it's such a trope that looking back it'll look like oh it's derivative when it's like no this was the original Mm -hmm. yeah so 2014 is a good entry into godzilla dumb it's also a good monster movie Especially, you know, with the little amount that you see. Does it have its flaws? Yeah, but, I mean, what kaiju film doesn't have flaws? Would you rather watch Godzilla 2014 or Pacific Rim? Depends on the day. Yeah. 
I haven't seen Pacific. Have we done? We haven't done Pacific Rim. We two. have done we Pacific Rim. We have done Rim. Pacific Rim. But not two. Not two. Because no. I was going to say, I haven't seen Pacific Rim 2. Uh, we have done, like, we've done, I think the title was, uh, oh, uh, something. It's about the apocalypse. Yeah, something about the apocalypse. Yeah, canceling the apocalypse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact episode name, but. It's canceling the apocalypse. Um, so, I don't want to say Pacific Rim is a parody of, it, it's an homage to the kaiju movies. but It is a love letter to kaiju and uh giant robots uh did guillermo del toro want to make a godzilla movie or did he just want to do his own thing he just wanted to to make a, a kaiju film about his love for kaiju and giant robots giant robots are cool i mean he did say that he cried during during godzilla 2014 i like his i'm just trying to think is there a guillermo del toro that i really didn't like and i would probably say hellboy 2 golden army it was just kind of boring. Maybe but... one of the Cabinet of Curiosities that you, you're not seen... a fan of. I haven't seen those. Uh, but he's more of a producer for that than he is director, isn't he? Yes. He you handpicks a bunch of people for it, though. Yeah. But it's not like he directed the it's film. It's true. So, yeah. If you're not a Godzilla fan, give 20, Godzilla 2014 a try. The worst that happens is you've spent two hours and you saw a monster movie. And you might be like, darn plot spackle. But we can't give you back your time. But you could tell us about how much you didn't like oh, we it. Had, we got to thank our uh, patrons first. Well, sure. We could thank our patrons afterwards, too. <laughs> that assumes we have time travel, Richard. We've always had time, time travel, John. Yeah, we're on like our 30th time travel thing in the series at this, <laughs> this point. This is not a time no, travel. The Richard, only, Richard, this is the first time travel. The, the only Godzilla <laughs> time travel is Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. I thought it was in space. No, that that's Godzilla um, vs. Monster X and uh, Godzilla vs. Space uh, Godzilla. Space Godzilla. And there's a... Okay, because there's another King Ghidorah one, but it's not named Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. It's, I think, Mecha Godzilla It's two. Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster? I no, I can't remember. This, this is hurting me. <laughs> I'm losing cred here. Everyone knows... It's son of Godzilla, John. Or maybe it is just the one, because it's Godzilla vs. Monster X, because they don't know it's King Ghidorah, but it is King Ghidorah. No, because Monster X is when they don't know it's King Ghidorah, and it is King Ghidorah, because the next one right after I that... Should, I should just fade out right now, and <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be the ending. Is But you know who we would nuke a million people for? Our patrons. Which makes it seem kind of weird, because... I mean... We know that you don't care about human lives, Eric. Yeah. Maybe. But thank you, patrons, for all that you do for us. Thank, thank you. you. But if you knew that uh, Godzilla goes to space and Godzilla versus the Astro Monster, let us know on Facebook and leave a like. Or in 280 characters or less, let us know on Twitter at PlotSpacklePod, which is is your favorite Godzilla movie and why it is Shin Godzilla. Or if you have a unwritten Godzilla script for Godzilla Final Wars 2, the further adventures of Stalin stash, you can send it to us plotspacklepodcast at gmail.com. And at least me and John would read that. All right. But he doesn't go to space with a Astro Monster. He goes with Monster Zero. Because 
they never call King Ghidorah King Ghidorah in the uh, titles of the, any of the original Godzillas. Not until the uh, Heisei. He's, yeah, because the, isn't the first one God's, Ghidorah the three-headed monster? No, the first one is uh, Astro Monster. Oh, when is the Heisei era? The Heisei but wasn't era Ghidorah the, the three-headed okay. monster in 1964? And then oh, wait. Yes. Invasion of Astro Monster is 65? Yes. Okay, yeah. But he's not called King Ghidorah yet. He's just Ghidorah. I gotta brush up back on my, mon- my Godzilla trivia. It's been a while. I won. I won a prize off of Godzilla trivia. That's I didn't have to buy my Godzilla 2014 because I won it in a contest. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I have a crown. 